desert, unchanged for millions of years, yet witness to a biblical prophecy come true that one day the meek shall inherit the earth. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of It Came From The Desert. We mixed alien ant DNA with tarantula's DNA with the intention of saving lives. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Are you excited? Just to poke shit in the woods. Hosted by Arnie. My life has to be like a movie. Why couldn't it be Deep Throat? Justin. He's insane. I know. Awesome, right? And Stuart. That's right, my loyal fans, your winner has arrived at the party begin! This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Go, save yourself. I'll save the rest of us. Listener discretion is advised. It's creepy as fuck, but I gotta say, it's pretty awesome. Today we're discussing It Came From The Desert, starring Mark Arnold, Vanessa Grace, Harry Lister-Smith, Claudia Trujillo, Alex Mills, directed by Marco Makalak. I actually looked that up, that is how you pronounce it, is Makalak. There's some of those letters in that name. I found a video where he comes running up a flight of stairs. Hi, this is Marco Makalak. Uh, give a dog a bone, it's like Nick <laughs> This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and what's with this happy horse shit? This is Stuart. Don't call me Nancy. <laughs> this is Justin. I think I still have a little dust in my eyes from the drive-in theater I came from after seeing this. <laughs> okay, it came from the desert, but where did it come from before then? Because I ain't never heard of this until some viewers reached out and were like, you need to do this. And I'm like, no, this is a remake of them. We're not doing that. And they're like, oh, but it inspired this game. I'm like, no, 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 we don't do that. Wait, it is a video game. Thank you, listener on Twitter. There were actually a couple. It's amazing how we don't really need to do the research anymore. These movies come to us. <laughs> Righteous Kill, it came from the desert. It came from Spain is where it was filmed, but... It came to Amiga, which... Did anyone ever have a Commodore Amiga computer? I never did. Oh, Amigas were the shit. I was really interested. When I started getting deep into computers, I had a choice to make. You know, most people were like Mac or PC, and I was looking into that. But in the middle was the sliver of Amiga. Commodore 64, yeah. Well, no, I'm talking the 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. Commodore 64, everybody had as their, like, first PC. I didn't have it. I actually had one bought for me, and then my parents went and bought a real computer, and so it went back to the store unopened. But... No, they then did the Amiga in the late 80s and the 90s, and it turned into the best video editing system, started video digital editing, Oh yeah. turned into the video toaster. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I now recall this, yes. I was not on board with any of that stuff until I was always forced to have a PC, so I never knew about other computers. I never knew about It Came From The Desert, and I really got thinking about it because I played it. I'll talk about it more favorably than the comparison I'm about to make, though. When I played it, it reminded me of another game that came out the next year. 
Nightbreed, the interactive movie, which was a terrible game. But the thing about Nightbreed, the interactive movie was I remember reading about it in Fangoria. But do you know how hard it was to get computer games in 1990? I don't think we've ever covered this because most of the games we've been covering were either arcade games, Super Mario Brothers, console games. We did cover Prince of Persia. Which, again, I didn't really know about. I got it free and it was an older game. But to get Nightbreed on my PC, I had to go to this dusty computer store because there weren't EB games. That was like the first place that started carrying PC games next to console games and doing it right. But Toys R Us didn't carry very many PC games. They carried all the console stuff. They had Nintendo, they had Genesis, but they didn't have PC games. I remember there was a PC game for Star Trek V. The only way I could get that is ordering it through the mail because I didn't know a single store that sold computer games. You had to go to computer stores and they might have three or four games sitting there for 50 bucks a piece and they were expensive, selection was minimal. If you were looking for specific games, they were hard to find. And so that's why I believe this one, plus the fact that in 89, I was completely into Nintendo Entertainment System, I'd never heard about It Came From The Desert. Yeah, when I had to go to a PC store, it was like, oh, look, all this software that can help me manage my budget with pie charts. And there'd be like <laughs> one game. I'd buy it and it would never even work for my computer. It was, I, yeah, it was so disappointing. And so, yeah, I didn't have an Amiga. And I guess this did get ported to PC, but I never saw it. I never played it. I did study up on it. I think it's interesting. This comes to us from CinemaWare Core, which is a game designing company that specifically targeted Hollywood genre movies. So that cross-pollinization between movies and games, they were all about that. One of their big games was a like Errol Flynn ripoff called Defender of the Crown. And they did Al Capone, Scarface 1932 as King of Chicago. They even made a Three Stooges and Sinbad game. Which were licensed. Well, I hope so. It came from the desert. I think it's obvious if you know 1950s monster movies where nuclear radiation turns some little critter into a giant beastie. There were several of them, the most obvious influence being them. A 1954 movie in which nuclear weapons do create giant ants. Hey, it's a fun conceit, and it's something that, you know, I probably would have been into, but full disclosure, at this time of my life, I think I was kind of shying away from being a computer nerd and maybe a little bit too into the sports and that type of thing before I'd make my eventual return into gaming with, you know, Super Nintendo a couple years later. But this is right in that period of my life where I just wasn't sitting down to play games on any console or any computer, so this was never anywhere near my radar. PC gaming at this time was horrible. There was Sierra. I give all the props to King's Quest, Space Quest, Police Quest, etc. I'm thinking of the games I played. Again, I didn't know where to get the King's Quest stuff. There were a lot of discs traded in back rooms back then, too. Oh, give me a copy of this. I played Pinball for DOS. I played Microsoft Flight Simulator. You gave me a copy of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. When I compare that to going and playing Ghouls and Ghosts or Super Mario Brothers, night and day difference. Sonic the Hedgehog. Consoles just had PCs beat until PC gaming really took off in like 93, 94. So this game, I did find an abandonware site for anyone who doesn't know that term. It means the company doesn't exist anymore, but it's still 
technically illegal, but you couldn't buy it from the company if you wanted to, so here, take a free download. I downloaded the DOS version and gave this a try. I've played it for several hours. And it's an interesting game because it's part like that Sierra game where it's an adventure game. You go from building to building, you talk to people, you ask them questions, you collect things like, oh, here's an ant leg and go take it to a scientist and say, analyze this ant leg. But then it also turns into an action game. And the second half of the game is really a lot more action-y, where it's a top-down view, and you're just shooting ants, and you get to fly an airplane and gas some ants. What it has that's completely unique is a time system. Actually, I guess King's Quest Three did this too, and I hated it. I hated it in both games, but... Every time you go somewhere, it tells you how long it takes to drive from point A to point B, and you have to beat this game in 10 to 15 days, or at that point, all the ants hatch, and the town is just overrun, and you're killed. And if you save the game, your saved game is not going to be of any use, because by the time you realize the town's overrun, you've probably saved at a spot where you can't beat the game anyway. So the only way to beat this game is to actually play it again and again and again, and learn, I have to go here, I have to go here, I then have to sleep overnight and go here, and do all of that in a row. Yeah, it's immersive, though. I do think it's the style of game I would enjoy, even though I'm not sure I would like that particular feature. I do think when I look at it, I did watch a walkthrough online of the Amiga version, and I also watched a walkthrough online of the TurboGrafx-16, which is a bit different, but they all have the basic premise that giant radiated ants are trying to take over small-town America. I found it interesting because it was due to a meteorite hitting Earth in the game that caused the giant ants, which is what we have in this movie. This movie actually ends with that Amiga game being played at the end credits. Right. But the Amiga had one thing this DOS version didn't. I think I would have really preferred this on the Amiga version. Microsoft DOS didn't have mouse support back then. So instead of being able to mouse the way you could with an Amiga or a Mac, you actually just had to move your arrow keys to move the arrow around. When you're attacked by ants, the only way to kill them is to shoot them in the antennae. Trying to do that with slow-ass arrow keys is not working. I could have actually hit them. So constantly, you don't die in the game if you lose. You lose two days. You wake up in the hospital, and you either lose two days for hospital treatment, or you have to escape Nurse Ratchet and have this other adventure scene of you escaping the hospital. <laughs> in your version, did any of the people you talked to end up being under the mind control of ants? Because that was one thing I noticed about TurboGrafx-16 that... Didn't seem to be the case with the earlier one. There was not a single case of mind control. I only got a little bit into the expansion pack. It's actually called a sequel, but you couldn't just buy It Came From The Desert 2. You had to own It Came From The Desert 1, and you could buy an expansion pack that was an entirely different game where you played a different character. In the first one, it's in the 1950s, and you're a geologist studying the rocks and eventually shooting ants. And this next one is the 60s. You're a different character. It's the same town, and it's called Ant head so i think that might have had some of the mind control stuff yeah in the uh turbo graphic 16 something that i think they might have taken for the movie you were like a biker and so everywhere you went you were on this cool motorcycle and you had your own theme song and everything ah well there was another version of this not released until 2015 what 
this company went kaput. I didn't think it made it out of the 20th century. It didn't. Okay. They made a version for this for the Sega Genesis. Huh? And it was never released. Okay. Because the company went under. Okay. But the game was done. They just never manufactured it, never shipped it. Now that we live in an age of, like, the Raspberry Pi and all of that... Oh. They released online their ROM, all the code for It Came From The Desert. Mm. And this was a totally different game. It was a... Not even a top-down, like, the original game. It was a three-quarter perspective view. Kind of like Zelda, but a little bit more angular, a little more top-down. But... You just were running around shooting ants. It was definitely an arcader. And in that one, the ants came from a nuclear bomb. Oh. Yeah. Which is the classic way you think about it. Again, all those 50s movies, everything was tied into the fact that we had just lived through a world war that ended with the H-bomb. Now, there was one more game version of this, and I've played it to death, and I didn't even know it was part of this. When we talk about Warcraft, I'm going to talk about my love for a game series. I think I brought it up in a couple other shows. Command and Conquer. Mm -hmm. And Command and Conquer Red Alert. Well, Command and Conquer Red Alert 2, I believe it was, had an expansion pack that was called It Came From Command and Conquer. And I thought that was like it came from outer space, you know, the 50s movie. And it was this weird thing where instead of fighting another army, giant ants were attacking your army. Hmm. And I just thought it was really awesome that they took Command and Conquer and gave it this 50s retro vibe, but it turned out to be a complete homage to It Came From The Desert. And when you play the original 89 It Came From The Desert, it's surprising how much some of it looks like Command and Conquer, where you have tanks and everything from a top-down view shooting these ants. So this game was successful. We may not have known about it, but it sounds like if you had the right system, this was definitely a game you owned and loved and played a lot. Yeah, and again, this is back when PC games were hard to get and usually pretty sucky, but when it was ported to DOS, it was ranked one of the 50 best DOS games there was. Oh. Out of how many, though? <laughs> well, again, we had Elm Street and we had Star Trek V. Yeah, Nightbreed. I don't know. Arnie, you're the only one that remembers some of those games. I still have all of them. I still have my five and a quarter inch floppies. Well, thank you for playing all those games. I didn't want to make time for it, but I am intrigued. I feel like I would like that game or maybe an updated version of that game. It sounds like it's a little archaic to play and it's really hard to get running. I finally had to download something called DOSBox because I just couldn't run it any other way. Well, my research involved going back to that original 1954 movie, Them. It had been a while since I'd seen it, and I went even beyond that and saw some of the camp films that came later that were inspired by it. Arachnophobia, if you remember the Jeff Daniels movie about little tiny killer spiders, and then the 2002 Eight-Legged Freaks, which is about giant CGI spiders, both take a lot of cues from them and that whole genre of giant monster movies of the 50s. I can't say any of them are great, but I do feel like if you have the right mindset, they can be a lot of stupid fun. You know, there is comfort food to watching this kind of movie. So I approach It Came From The Desert feeling like it's got a pretty easy job. If it can just be self-aware and fun, it won't matter if it's stupid. It won't matter if the effects are bad. There's an inner 10-year-old inside me that still just enjoys watching creepy crawly silliness. 
Hey, I'm right there with you, Stuart. This feels kind of like the 50s and 60s version of Netflix and chill today, where it's like, it's entertainment on the screen, but you're actually there to make out with somebody in a, in a convertible. The drive-in movies of our era, yeah. Exactly. It's not supposed to be the most groundbreaking film ever that you're seeing on the screen in front of you. It's just a distraction and something for the background. That era is gone. But the movies you mentioned, I, I have enjoyed. You know, I've enjoyed arachnophobia and stuff like that. So finding out that that's what this movie is going to be kind of got me a little bit of excited to sit down for it. Yeah, I like this kind of movie, too. I saw them way back when. I remembered a little bit. One that I held a little near and dear was Kingdom of the Spiders. Oh, Shatner. Shatner against the giant spider thing. And then there were so many I'd see on Mystery Science Theater 3000, like Attack of the Gia Monster is one I remember fondly. I did love Arachnophobia when it came out. I saw that in theaters and have seen it many times since. But that has a knowing wink. I need to see Eight-Legged Freaks, but one modern one that's similar in that something came from space and created a monster and had kind of a knowing wink. James Gunn's Slither. I put it in our book. Oh, yes. That's a particularly gross one. I, that one is, I would actually use the word revolted. Which doesn't mean bad. It no, just no. means... <laughs> they They strive for that. That's what they wanted to be. I do like that type of film. So I came into the desert hoping... I knew this was going to be low budget. We talked about it. It came out of nowhere. It was released in Finland last year. Mm. And it just came to iTunes a week before we're recording this. I looked for a home media release with any kind of bonus features. It was released on DVD. Not Blu-ray. Not 4K. DVD with no features or digital with no features. So my hope was, all right, this is low budget, independent slash foreign. But hey, if you don't take yourself too seriously, we might have some fun. And you mentioned, Justin, that they don't make drive-in movies anymore. That may be. But there is an entire network devoted to putting out that kind of entertainment. It's called Sci-Fi Channel. And that is where they got this finished director. Marco, his second film was a killer abominable snowman movie for Sci-Fi Channel. He also made a Lithuanian zombie movie called War of the Dead. And then some kids film about a girl rocker or something. Untested, eager to prove himself, but he already had credentials in this midnight movie kind of genre. I found his demo reel online when I was trying to learn how to pronounce his name. And it's this slick edited zombies gunfire two minute sizzle reel. It looked visually spectacular. I saw no trailers for it came from the desert, but I saw that and I'm like, this guy, he knows how to move a camera, it looked like, from some of this. He knew how to handle it. I, again, went in with tempered but positive expectations. Yeah, apparently this all came about not because they're re-releasing the game, not because there is this groundswell of we've got to see this thing come back to life. It was because Marco played it a lot when he was a kid and he was at the 2015 Berlin Film Festival pitching producers and he said, how about we make something like this game? How about we do it with spiders so we don't get sued, but we'll call it something very similar. And it just happened to be a happy accident that there was someone willing to sell them the rights to the game and they could actually adapt what he loved. But they didn't have the budget. They couldn't go back and do the 50s detail stuff. So he ended up reconceiving it as a sequel to that first game. And so that's why this one is set in 2017 and doesn't have any of the 50s tropes that the game is full of. 
Yeah, because when I watched this, I have to admit, not only was I thinking sci-fi heavily, but I did think, why did you bother licensing the name? Because having seen three versions of this game and everything, there was no motocross racers, there was no party, there was no they need alcohol to breed. This has about as much with the games I saw and played as Super Mario Brothers had in common with Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, hearing that story from Stuart there kind of made me think the same thing. Is like, why not just go with that first version? I don't know what having this name is going to bring to the table to today's audience, especially if we're shooting for a Sharknado type of delivery. So maybe come up with a name, you know, Desert Ant. Something that's going to catch people rather than it came from the desert because... When I saw this on the schedule, I read the name, promptly forgot it, looked at the <laughs> schedule again the next week, read the name, promptly forgot it. It, it was until I sat down and actually watched it. I'm like, I had to go look it up one more time. What movie are we watching? <laughs> okay, it came from the desert. Again, I couldn't even believe that this existed a few weeks ago, and now we're fully immersed. Arnie, why don't you give them the plot in case everyone else is like us, and they'll be caught up to speed. They can know what it came from the desert to do. Alex Mills plays Lucas, a hotshot motocross racer. You know how we know he's a hotshot? He spells his name with a K, not a C. <laughs> his brother Brian is a mechanic, played by Harry Lister Smith. They're heading to a drunken party in the desert to celebrate Lucas's win, joined by Brian's classmate and crush Lisa, played by Vanessa Grass. The party is banging, but is crashed by Lucas's rival motocross racers Tim and Craig. Bummed, Brian leaves the party, and when Lucas goes after him, they discover military tunnels that have been deserted. They investigate and begin being attacked by giant ants. Lisa goes after them and is captured by the ants. Lucas and Brian rescue Lisa, and she and Brian admit their feelings for each other. They find archived videos explaining the ants are giant but need ethanol to procreate, meaning they're drawn to the party where they go and kill most of the people, and Tim is captured. Lisa shoots and kills the Ant Queen, while Lucas takes a vodka pump to the tunnels and uses it as fuel for a fire, and he saves Tim. But Lucas was going to sacrifice himself until Craig shows up on a motorbike and races in, saving Lucas from a fiery death. They go back, and Tim and Craig admit admiration for Lucas after his rescue of Tim, but their raised beer is grabbed by a giant ant, teasing a sequel that will never happen as credits roll. Never say never. I mean, there is an Alone in the Dark 2. Stranger things have happened, but I tend to think that, yes, they've got an uphill, anthill battle to fight here. We do start in 1950. There is a prologue here that is basically a callback to the way the game opened. Verbatim, the words that I saw read on the screen, and then when I looked at the Amiga version, the Amiga version had voices, damn it. That's why gaming was good on the Amiga. And so you actually could hear it. I think it might even be the same voice, which is why it's so hard to understand what the hell they're saying mm. in this prologue. Yeah, it's all biblical. The meek shall inherit the earth and all that. But yeah, a comment wasn't what I was expecting. You tell me you're referencing the 50s and I immediately think, I mean, this is even set in New Mexico and we hear like clicking on the soundtrack, a Geiger counter. I'm thinking radiation from a nuclear bomb has to be the trigger. It's not. Get that out of your head. 
No, it opens just like the video game does with a scene of the desert and then a meteorite crashing and a big explosion. I'm like, wow, is this going to be exactly the game? Am I going to see this geologist in his love triangle? And am I going to see some weird Mason-like group of Neptunians who wear fish on their head? <laughs> no, you need to pause the movie, go spend hours, days, years playing that game to get it right. And then once you beat it, come back and hit play again because again this is a sequel it tells us 67 years later this movie was released last year in 2017 so that's what is happening here to me it's a little weird that they start this way until you know at the end of the movie or if you did your homework before if you're a fan like you said this is almost a shot for shot recreation of that video game because i don't know if this is something that you need to tell in this way we could have started off without this 67 years later card and maybe just started there and then maybe later on through exposition find out how this came about. I actually wouldn't have minded a shot that just said 1950, cut the word, see an asteroid hit, and then we just jump later. That way it would explain something that doesn't get explained through dialogue elsewhere. My preference would have been to keep it in the 50s and just do the game live action, but I guess that's why we have TurboGrafx-16. They can't do that, and hell, they can't even afford U.S. military uniforms. The next thing we see are a bunch of guys in berets. I guess they're Sandinistas <laughs> just running down dark <laughs> hallways, and I think, uh-oh, this is underfunded. There's one thing I have come to hate. It is a pet peeve. I admit it as such, and I'm going to forever, from this movie on, just rail against it more than it deserves. But we've seen it so much lately. And I think it goes back to Rave from the Grave era. But this goddamn CGI muzzle flash that is way too pronounced and way too yellow and bright. And it's because the guns aren't actually firing at all. I don't even think they're pulling the trigger. And so they just add sound effects and this overly big CGI flash coming out of it. It's like they're shooting mini flamethrowers instead of rifles. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> You're actually seeing and recognizing the Adobe After Effects package that somebody bought. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's not my biggest problem, Marnie, but I appreciate that, yes, these are well-worn cliches at this point for low-budget sci-fi filmmaking. And, yeah, I feel like I've seen all of this before as we see a bunch of guys die in the dark. But I also think we see the ant. Two things on that. One, for a low-budget movie... They're pretty convincing. My beef with this movie has nothing to do with the way the ants look. I think the CGI is completely acceptable for a movie that's evoking B-movies of the 50s. You go back to them, and it's obvious that it's a giant puppet that can barely move. These are better than that. But I would also say they kind of spoiled it, right? I mean, usually these movies like to tease what's the monster for a while. We know right off the bat that these are ants. I'm gonna disagree a little bit on the answer acceptable thing. Yes, I'll go with it if we're making fun of slash paying homage to old movies with bad effects. That's fine. But this does not look good in any way. It looks sci-fi. It looks Sharknado. And if that is deemed acceptable, given the levity with which it's approached, then fine. But if I went to Jurassic World a couple weeks ago and I saw this shit, I'd ask for a refund. <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
I'll split the difference here. It's not the worst CGI. It's not pulling me out of the experience. And it's also not wowing me. It's workable for what they're trying to do here. And right off the bat, I was getting a little concerned that, you know, in this military part of the opening, I thought this was going to be the movie. I thought we were going to be re-watching Doom all over again. Oh, ugly words. <laughs> ugly words, Justin. We don't want to rewatch Doom, ever. But I know what you mean. Yes, they could have very well just remade Aliens for the umpteenth time and had a bunch of Marines in the dark fighting things that whatever they can afford to show, you see. And no, we jump again. Suddenly we're meeting Jorge and his nameless friend, two prospectors who have gone to this facility, supposedly to decorate it for a holiday party, and saw all the copper wiring lying around and said, we need to come back and rob it when no one's here. I think they were doing the party that's the main party we're talking about. Like the party that's going to occur, they were setting up for that party. Yeah, for the gringo kids. Oh, that makes much more sense than what I understood because <laughs> at one point when they wander into this complex, they go to a rec room that has a bunch of open beer bottles and a half-decorated Christmas tree. <laughs> and I think, Jorge, you did a shitty job. <laughs> no, the ants came at Christmas. Oh, okay, you're right. That makes much more sense. Yes, they would be setting up the dirt bike victory party and because this is so nearby, Jorge got ideas. And Jorge dies. We will never talk about Jorge again. A shadow bursts through a chain link fence and he and his friend are devoured. Did we need this scene? No. Because later, the only thing this really adds, except a couple to the body count in a bloodless fashion because we don't see it, is later on, they're going to find Jorge's truck. Couldn't that have just been a military truck left from the 50s and be like, I hope it still runs? Did we need to see Jorge and his friend come unless they're foreshadowing the party and say that they're finding these shells at 75 cents a pound? I think you need, in a horror movie, to set up kills early. Of course, we already had that with the military guys. Yes. But I think you like to tease, particularly if the title is It Came From The Desert, you're teasing the idea that something awful and unimaginable is coming your way. Well, here, yeah, they've done it to death now with two sets of people being killed, and they've shown us in both cases very clearly that they're ants. So, yeah, I think that this is a poor setup. And I think your answer, Arnie, lies in a quick look at the runtime subtracted with the amount of dirt bike footage we get to watch in this movie <laughs> and you see it's something they probably couldn't cut just because they had to get at least 90 minutes out of this film but it is two extra actors they had to pay they could have just played another song about river phoenix i think <laughs> but admittedly a little later on marjorie knew i was watching some movie she couldn't remember the title either justin she's like what movie are you watching she probably asked me that a dozen times <laughs> and then she comes in and sees it she's like why are you watching motocross i thought you had to watch a movie <laughs> Excite Bike, the movie. That would actually be better. I would love that. <laughs> but Marjorie should know me well enough to know I would never watch motocross. And in fact, that these extreme sports guys are our protagonists. Oh boy. It's setting me up for disappointment. I'm not opposed. I mean, you got to create a scripted reason to get a bunch of kids out to the desert with alcohol. Motocross is as good as anything. I mean, I think I would enjoy watching a lot of these guys get killed. The disappointment for me is that the race has already happened. We'll find out that this race already happened sometime in the past, and now this is just a victory party. Who does that? We're just going out <laughs> to the desert to tell you how great you were when you crossed the finish line weeks ago. 
a victory party that starts apparently at 9.45 a.m. It's <laughs> so early and so light through the entirety of this movie. And in the movie's strangest flourish, a gong they can't stop hitting, it will be hosted by the Eradicator. We see very early on a jump cut from all of this early ant killing to a intentionally bad B-movie in which what looks like a canon film hero, maybe Stallone in Over the Top or something. It is so Bruce Campbell that he should sue. They take his lines, give me some sugar, baby. Groovy, I know. I noticed that as well. Yes, a midnight movie star, but he doesn't look like Bruce Campbell. He looks more like Jean-Claude. He looks nothing like Jean-Claude. He looks like a pro wrestler, like The Undertaker or something (laughs) with that long, greasy hair. Well, I just mean he looks Euro, as everyone in this cast does. He looks So you were just in Europe. You're like, oh, that looks like Jean-Claude. That looks like Jean-Claude. That guy's Jean-Claude. I'm saying that this movie will try very hard to tell us in every scene that it is in America because they will put an American flag in the background of every shot. Tip to foreign filmmakers. Nobody has flags in their homes. We don't do that. We're not like, oh, we're in America now. Why don't you hang the flag? No, it doesn't happen. Maybe on the 4th of July. Maybe occasionally we drag it out. But this shows that they are insecure about the fact that you're going to believe that we're in New Mexico. We're not in New Mexico. Half this movie was shot in Spain. All the exteriors were in a Spanish desert. And then all the interiors were in cold Finland. Well, you know what? A Danish film art director reached out to us to tell us how much he liked our show and how many design sessions listening to our show has gotten him through. Maybe now he'll stop putting the American flag in the back. <laughs> Victory! This was all worth it. Yeah, please stop doing that. We get it. You don't ever have to show us the American flag to establish it's America. But not only are they establishing that this is America, they're establishing that these wholesome American kids love this retro figure, the Eradicator, who has made up to seven movies in which he rides around on a motorcycle and apparently saves screaming blonde women from the toxic adventure. I was a little nervous because we see this opening shot and it's a guy quite clearly in a bad green mask where even his eyes aren't covered by the makeup and if I was complaining about some muzzle flare effects earlier the CGI bullets hitting him are so bad and I'm like you're putting a gambit out here your effects better be better than the ones you're saying are bad on this TV (laughs) they are but I was nervous I had the same thought Arnie I was like okay if you're gonna put the two up to par here and you're going to ask us to measure, you better (laughs) deliver, because at this point, you're setting the bar really low with what you're telling us is bad filmmaking. And yet, here's what I would say. I don't feel like this filmmaker, Marco, is telling us that we should mock B-movies. I think he loves them. I think he's a fanboy. I think when he's throwing us these lines like, give me some sugar baby and all of that, he is just revealing to us that he is saturated and this kind of midnight movie culture. That he adores it, that he's recreating it, and that this is in many ways, as Scream was postmodern to horror slasher films, this is going to be that to action movies of the 80s. You're right, Stuart, and I think that becomes pretty apparent here, because as Arnie was saying, as we meet our two main characters, Brian and Lucas, if you would have told me on paper, all right, we're going to have a couple dirt bike dudes who are really awesome and they're Mountain Dew drinkers, I'd have been like, eh. 
But a lot of this is going to ride on their personalities. And Lucas is going to be kind of the brash dummy that goes out of his way to do things to impress people. While Brian is the more staid and true one. But for some reason, their dynamic ends up working for me a little bit. I thought that they could walk this line of being annoying. But they never really went over it to the point where I was just taken away from this and didn't want to watch it anymore. I agree. I found myself hating them in the early scenes when they're in the garage and they're drinking what looks like a Mike's Harder lemonade. God, that's just bad taste right there. Yeah, it did feel like a 90s Mountain Dew commercial. It's the scene where they leave the party and they actually have a conversation together. And I'm still thinking I'm going to hate Lucas because he's taking a piss and he's littering. And I'm like, they're just making this guy a dick. But something about that scene and afterwards, I actually don't mind these two leads, nor do I mind their performances. They are a step above what I'm used to seeing in this type of film. To me, it's a hard dance to pull off. The dude bro, I think low-budget filmmakers think it's a quick way to get young audiences on their side. Oh, you'll love it because they look like you and they speak like you. But honestly, if you calculate it wrong, it can be really off-putting. And I think they're shooting for Bill and Ted. I think they come closer to John Dies at the End, if you've seen that film. Yeah. I had that very same thought, Stuart. I had that in my notes that this very much feels like the same dynamic as those two. I wouldn't call them lovable, but they do carry the low ambitions of this particular film. They are acceptable. Yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. And I looked them up. They don't have huge resumes. They've worked before. But I'm just thinking about all those Hellraiser films we saw that were filmed overseas better. Well, do you remember Leatherface, the one that was in Slovenia? Yes. Well, then you remember our female protagonist, Lisa. She was the kindly nurse that got kidnapped by the mentally ill people that broke out. And ended up dead on the side of the road, as I recall. Spoiler alert. I feel like she's much better at playing the naive, sweet, innocent than she is here, supposedly as a trash movie lover who's also really brainy and hot. I don't know. They're really striving for something here that I feel like she's the weak link. I thought she was okay. I didn't love her. They take her out of the movie for a good chunk of it. Keep going. Take her out more. (laughs) That actually makes me feel disconnected from her when she comes back. But in these early scenes, I kind of like the flirtatious looks between her and Brian. And I think I know where this movie's going because I've seen every possible 80s comedy about the nerd and the jocks competing for the girl. And... When this party they go to is crashed by Tim and Craig, the other motocross guys, they're indistinguishable to me. So I don't know which one goes to hit on Lisa. I'm like, oh, it's going to be that movie. But no, Lisa just gives quick banter like you repulse me and ends up kicking him in the balls. That makes me like her. I could like that character. This actress does not convince me. She could wax like Tarantino about Eradicator 3 and have all these winking asides about how a low budget and cool stunt work and ridiculous plots. All this stuff that it's like the filmmakers are turning to us and saying, we know what you see, but it's going to make this really cool. She's not a female Tarantino. They needed someone that was edgier here. She's too sweet to be pulling this stuff off. And to me, she looks like all the girls that are too young for me at Comic-Con. Okay. I don't like her a lot, and she's a big problem for me in this movie. You want the guy that's hopelessly in love to be in love with a girl that's worth it. Well, she is on the Dean's list. 
<laughs> but he's on the president's list. Is this a joke? I don't even understand. <laughs> I've only heard of the dean's list. I've never heard of the president's list. It might tell you something about my grades. But... I, I don't think there is a president's list. And I just think there are times that they strive for comedy. Like when she knees that guy in the balls and they have to make his voice like eight octaves higher. They're not in control of how to be campy. Sometimes this movie feels like a scary movie, and sometimes this movie feels like matinee or arachnophobia. And I just think that it takes a talented director to know when to say no to comedic bits when you're riffing all the time. And this movie tonally is all over. You're nailing on something right there. There are moments in this movie where there is a legitimate chuckle coming out of me because of a cleverly placed joke or a well-timed line. But yeah, then there's other times where they actually computer enhance his voice to let us know that he was just racked in the balls. Oh my God, he sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah, it's Looney Tunes at that point. And it's like, it felt like there's two different people's sense of humor going on here and they were just swapping off scenes. Yeah, that's where you need a really strong editor. If the director is going to shoot everything, you need somebody, a stopgap, to be like, okay, well, that one works and that one's not coming in. And uh, this movie would have benefited just from more editing in general and definitely some pruning of some of these worst jokes. One thing that I do like, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but I feel like the strongest statement in this movie is the song I'm Falling Down Like River Phoenix by Santa Cruz. Because... It dares to be tasteless, and it's in your face, and that's what a B-movie should be. This movie would be better off trying to offend more often. I couldn't believe it when I'm watching this movie, and I'm hearing the lyrics, and I'm like, did they just say River Phoenix? And they play this song constantly. I don't know exactly what kind of bargain they have with Santa Cruz. Every song in here is by Santa Cruz. I would have immediately jumped to Santa Cruz is a band by the director's next door neighbor. Yeah, they are like a cover band for Blink-182. Yeah. But they're a band that have put out three albums and have been around since 2007. I'm sure there's still some kind of marketing deal or friendship, but they're not what I would have expected and that song is kind of funny. I mean, in like, wow, you went their way. Yeah, lest we remind our listeners, River Phoenix went down from a drug overdose outside an L.A. nightclub, and he didn't get up. So, And he kind of went down in my own private Idaho. I wasn't sure which way they were going. Oh, I didn't even think about that. No, I, I assumed when he died. Well, both have been more than 20 years, so it's not a fresh wound to anybody <laughs> at this point. Is that totally original? Because I think Fallout Boy had a song about Uma Thurman. Yeah, I heard it today. With did they sample the monsters in that? They but did. Yeah, dance like Uma Thurman. Yeah, I, I do think that's kind of a trendy thing to do to just reference things from the '90s, I suppose. But again, my point is, I would be more on this movie side if it did more unexpected things. A lot of what it's going to do is pretty boilerplate. We can pretty much predict everything that's going to happen once our main character wanders away from the victory party and discovers this chicane industries factory where the ants have made a nest and this is where it's gonna you're right sort it's gonna be very predictable paint by the numbers and this is where i was either gonna hop off on this movie or let it take me for the ride and for at least the time being the following scenes kept me on board because the movie became self-aware. They started making jokes about being in Jurassic Park because the set they're in looks exactly like the kitchen. And there wasn't so much of that that I was like, oh, rolling my eyes. 
it was peppered in just enough for me to be like, okay, at least they know what they're doing here. And for me, for the time being, it's working out. All right. And this is where my motorcycle started to sputter out of gas. Because first of all, I'm rolling my eyes. I think this is supposed to be humor, but it's not funny when they're like, Oh, this company, they're a government contractor. They do military weapons. Don't you know them? They sponsored our party and are on your motocross shirts. The next time I see Halliburton on a NASCAR shirt, let me know. Because that seems a little bit far-fetched. Maybe they're going for Umbrella Corp. You know, maybe it's a Resident Evil kind of, you know, just the idea of corporations is that they have their tentacles in everything, right? And the most innocuous things are really just funneling money into their darkest enterprises. I mean, that is certainly a cynical way of uh, looking at it. Chicane, chicanery. I mean, this is not deep satire here. Also, their logo, the Chicane Corporation, looks like OCP turned on its side with just a couple extra circles in there, but... I'm thinking they're spending too long on the buildup. They don't have deep characters here. What they have are a couple likable actors on the screen. But my God, they spend a full 30 minutes on setup. And I'm thinking again, back to other movies that did this in the 80s that spent time letting us know our characters and our scenarios before getting into it. Friday the 13th is the one that I think of a lot, but Halloween, so many others. But there, it felt like they were building the tension more, and maybe they just had a more talented director at the helm able to make scenes feel eerie by giving us point-of-view shots, by giving us ominous music. Here, when they're walking around and making their Jurassic Park jokes, I'm fading fast. If this was on sci-fi, I'd channel flip. That is one thing I would definitely argue. It's okay to make jokes. As you pointed out, Justin, they're going to break the fourth wall and say, hey, we're doing Jurassic Park. Later, they'll be like, we moved from Jurassic Park to Aliens. They want to be screamy and postmodern in that way. Fair enough. Go ahead and do that. But remember, Scream scared you too. It would have moments of tension and there would be times that you would legitimately jump and then you would laugh. And that would make you laugh more because it had gotten you. And this movie most certainly is not scary. Very true. Very true. That is the one thing this movie is missing ultimately is any sense of tension. And you brought it up early, Stuart, saying that they showed us the creature too early. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing them all here. And, you know, unless you have the heebie-jeebies over ants, which I don't. Spiders are my thing. If these were giant spiders, maybe it would work a little better. But it's still campy. And that's what the director wanted to do. That was going to be his ripoff version before they actually got the rights to the game. Yeah, and see, that probably would have worked better on me personally. But what's happening here is a B-movie that Arnie wants to flip. <laughs> and I can't blame him at this point, but my mind starts wandering. I'm, I'm starting to wonder, when was this made? I mean, they're using flip phones and the, the songs that we're just talking about sound like they were written in 1997. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out, is the movie trying to tell us this is somewhat timeless over the last 20, 25 years, or is it supposed to be now? Is it supposed to be current? It's last year because we were told that Comet came down in 1950, and then we saw the inner title 67 years later. So this is 2017, but it's 2017 Finland pretending to be America. Finland, home of all the saunas. I recently met someone that had just been to Finland. They said there is a sauna everywhere, even in the Burger King. They had a picture of them in the Burger <laughs> King sauna eating a burger. I was just like, okay, so maybe they don't have contemporary phones Maybe they don't have what America has, and so it wouldn't look right. I don't know. You could set this in Finland. I mean, why try to fake America? 
the song you're talking about, River Phoenix, came out in 2017. This movie was filmed in 2016, edited in 2017, released in 2017 in Finland, came here last week. So it took a little while on that digital boat, but... It's not like they filmed in 2014 and said it's going to be 2017. We're going to put this in the near future. As for why make it the States, it's where the game was. I mean, they actually put it in the same fake city from the game. Although there's no city. I mean, other than that brief moment in Brian's garage, we don't see populated areas. They have moved all the action out here to the middle of the desert. There's a kegger. Again, I would have preferred that they actually held the race here. They could have used some of that stock footage of people riding around the desert, made it a little more exciting if it were a Fast and Furious kind of race. And then, yeah, maybe Lucas had won that race. I think that would have made this first half hour more exciting. But this scenario, it feels a lot like eight-legged freaks there is a whole motocross subplot in that film and so if they had made it spiders it would have been actionable they could have sued because it would have been so similar but ants that's what we got they're not spiders they are ants just saw ant-man and the wasp i just don't have strong feelings about this insect it just doesn't move me that much but i guess the thing you can go with is there's a queen ant and much like an alien's she has this mind that can control. And they even tease this. They don't really fulfill in this movie, but twice they cut to a door that says Ant Mind Inside. And so it's presumed that the queen, if you went in there, she could take control of your mind. She's certainly telling these little ants to go and do her bidding and create a nest somewhere. When the ants finally show up, I'm brought back to another throwback movie that had honestly similar effects levels starship troopers mm. because the way the ants move especially when there's multiple the way they swarm i was just thinking about the arachnids from starship troopers but i'm sorry but nobody here is a casper van dean when it comes to charisma or acting talent ouch that's not kind <laughs> That movie is funny, but that is it's almost like a directorial snark. It's like a 50s movie. They're saying these canned lines in earnest, and the joke is they can't see that they're actually participating in what looks like a very Aryan, totalitarian society. It's I mean, Verhoeven, he has his own gift here. These are fanboys. These are not people with vision. And so we get dumb bits like the ants griping to each other, stop laughing in subtitles. Like they're actually like gremlins at some point. Yeah, a trope that they only used like once. I was worried that this was going to turn into, oh, we're going to start reading subtitles of ants jokes now. But they only did it the one time, which was another uneven tone in the editing room. Do it more or don't do it at all. But yeah, to do it once is confusing. I actually had to rewind. I'm like, did I see what I saw? Because I'll admit that my interest had waned in this movie already. And so when I saw that, I'm like ready to come back in it. If these ants are talking to each other in subtitles throughout the whole movie, you've got me. That would be an immediate brown arrow. But unfortunately, they never do it again. Why not do it? <laughs> the ants are more appealing than the humans. It would be fun to see them make comments. It would be like a Gremlins movie then. And you just have them creating pop culture jokes 
by pranking the people as they're killing them. And eventually we're going to find out that they have a nest, but their larva can't hatch without ethanol. They need alcohol by genetic engineering. The scientists that made them and grew them from that comet, they made it as a failsafe that they'll never be able to nest on their own unless they get alcohol. And how will they ever get alcohol in the desert? Of course, that brings the kegger back into it in a scene that's way too short. I was ready for some mass carnage. I was ready for some tasteless jokes. But this whole thing lasts maybe two minutes. First of all, why do you tease us with a stripper who's not going to strip? <laughs> she strips from booty shorts into a one-piece <laughs> bathing suit. I know. I can see more skin at the mall, and my mall is closing. I mean, this is an exploitation film. Mm. If you're going to go there, go there. Otherwise, don't have a booty dancer. Right. Right, especially one who may not be of age. I couldn't get a good enough look at her face, but I was a little concerned that she might be in the 16 to 17 range. I'll trust legal on the film department to make sure she's 18. In Spain? I don't know. The other thing is that they just don't have the money for what we both want. Because when an ant spits on that stripper, and that made me immediately pause the movie and look it up. Because I've seen The Fly... Do ants eat the way flies do? No, they don't. No. Ants have mandibles that will pick up food. They do not have teeth. So the mandibles must do all the crunching. And then they have a saliva-like substance that will moisten the food and make it go down. And they chew it, you know, like humans would chew food. So I don't know where this acid spit comes from. And it's the only time it's really used in the movie because they can't afford to have face-melting effects that often. Mm-hmm. Well, it's mentioned that not only are these ants, they took DNA from from fire ants, but also from tarantulas and maybe whatever else. They don't want to have to be anatomically, zoologically accurate. They just want bugs that can do whatever they want them to do for the bit. I'm fine with that. I'm not looking for scientific veracity. I'm looking to have a good time. But yeah, we get a guy that gets conked in the head by a keg after an ant drinks it and burps. And we get a guy that's been walking around with a exterminator tank on his back, dispensing family-made vodka, who thinks that he's looking at squirrels because he's had too much vodka? Apparently. And he's perfectly fine with giant squirrels, but not giant ants? <laughs> Those are it. And then the massacre's over. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need this to be extended for 15 minutes. We need to see lots of good, well, not good, but tasteless cruddy B-movie jokes. This is where you can really throw in all of your references to other horror movies and sci-fi movies and action movies. Yeah, let's see some limbs flying. Let's see some decapitations. Let's see blood splatters all over the place. But here's where it even gets even more confusing. You called it a massacre. Yeah, a lot of people died. Some survived somehow. Yes, you're right. That's what's really confusing to me. We don't see anybody getting dragged off until a little bit later on when Lisa gets dragged off by an ant. And we find out that there's some of them left alive in the hive for the babies when they hatch to eat. But the scene as it was shot, I thought everybody who came in contact with an ant was immediately killed. I thought the same thing. Also, I don't think that ants have webs like spiders where they web their prey. That's why ants make anthills instead of webs there are some ants that do make webs again it's part tarantula they hedge their bets there what the problem is the science is very unexplained at one point the kids run into a room watch an old corny 50s cartoon educational video about giant ant safety and that's all we ever really learn about them there's this 
character who pops up, Dr. John Renard, he first comes up in a YouTube clip and explains that Project Them, get it? Because of Them, the 50s movie, T-H-E-M, I never really understand what they were trying to do. They were creating giant ants not as soldiers for a future war, but as protectors if we were ever attacked, and that their webbing was going to stop F-15s. Ah, this is so so messy and this is the top build star of the movie here mark arnold and you know mark arnold should probably have a bigger career than he does if he just hadn't been such a dick to michael j fox on the basketball court in teen wolf Oh, is that where he's from? I don't know this guy. Yeah, he's the main <laughs> romantic rival in Teen Wolf. Wow, they dug deep. <laughs> <laughs> and yet a movie, this retro, that's a reference that's probably intended. Yeah, he's done other work in the meantime. Every once in a while, I'll see this guy show up and I'll be like, how do I know this face? And he was in a bit part in Blade Runner 2049 and Kingsman the Golden Circle. I mean, stuff we've reviewed, he showed up in. He was actually in a movie that my wife worked on that was shot around here years ago called April Showers, which was a movie made by an actual survivor of Columbine High School. Wow. That's intense. Again, I don't even need it to be a big star. I just need, however the science is going to come into this movie, whether the kids figure it out themselves or just hit play on a video and we get told, I want it to make sense. And I never do understand Project Them and what they hope to accomplish. I don't understand why there's sentient guns all around that at one point they're able to play like a first-person shooter. And apparently they shoot up most of the ants that way. They tell us that of the nine batches of mutated ants, eight of them are gone. But it's this ninth one that have moved to the star caves and set up that they have to contend with. Yeah, and that scene reminded me a little bit of the game. When the ants first attack, you actually got a first-person shooter view. And that gun thing I was talking about, you couldn't move. You were stationary, but you aimed and fired the gun in a first-person perspective. And the shot was just like Doom. You have the hand, you have the pistol, you're aiming. Again, if I'd had a mouse, I wouldn't have been so bad at it. But I was thinking about that, like this is some kind of homage to the game here. Yeah. Or at least video games in general. Something, one of the few times that they're trying to tie it back to the fact that this is a property that existed as a video game. A lot of times I'm not thinking that. You know, a lot of the questions Stuart is asking about why this and why that might not be a problem in a movie like this. I mean, maybe the director and the writers don't want us to ask those questions and they think we're just going along with the ride. And sometimes that's fine. But because a lot of these things are here just to get us to the next thing that they need. You know, eventually they're going to need a motorcycle. Eventually they're going to need guns. Eventually they're going to need suits. And all this stuff is just here to keep us going. But the question then becomes, why... Why is Mark Arnold here actually in this movie beyond just being in the video to give us information? Is it because they got somebody to do that video? <laughs> like My questions are more real world than choices in the movie. Mm. They put out a call for this and Mark Arnold was available. So they thought, oh, wow, we should give him at least one more scene. Mm. They might have expanded his part because does he need to pop up later when they're in the cave trying to pull the people free? You pointed out that not all of them are dead. Some of them have been spun into cocoons and they're alive in some kind of comatose state and they're waiting to be eaten by the larva that has just 
I think we're told 30 minutes. It takes 30 minutes for the kegs of beer that have been consumed to make this larva hatch. And once they do, all of these wrapped up kids are going to be eaten. And strangely enough, our heroes come in to save the day. And it's this guy that's like, no, we can't save them. Let's leave. And so we have more of the movie away from this cave with them trying to get to Bradley site. Now... Did the Mark Arnold character, the doctor there, was he living in the case? Because they're not that far from a town. I mean, they got there in like a half an hour's motocross, right? I mean, he could have walked. I don't know. If if I'm going to hold on to that Christmas tree, then I will concede Jorge did not set up. This happened at Christmas, and this is now obviously not Christmas. It looks like the heat of summer. Then I'm thinking... But yeah. it's the desert. It could be January. True, true. Although it does get cold in the desert. I mean, there's snow. It's, it's not an unusual phenomenon. But I'm going to take a guess that it has been months since this outbreak began, he should have found a way to communicate this in more than his YouTube video that only interrupts the security cameras. I don't know if this video will ever be found. It's 2017, but I don't have bandwidth. I can't send a text for help. The movie has stopped being fun at this point. I was trying to go along. Like I said, I have an inner 10-year-old that just likes this stuff. It doesn't have to be good for me to enjoy it. But it does have to be palatable. And now I'm finding a lot that's just kind of annoying, really. And and even the in-jokes. They're like, we have to go into this cave because imagine if Scarlett Johansson were in here and we can save her Avengers style. Boo. I mean, just thumbs down on these references. I should enjoy that joke. And oh my God, I was just groaning. And then like, but Scarlett Johansson would say, okay, you're the Hulk. I'm the Hulk. I'm the Hulk. I'm the incredible. What the f- yeah. yeah, and then the the one joke that apparently is the one that pays off is the entire movie, Brian has yet to get a beer. You know, it's, it's something that's been going on the whole time. And when finally Brian is going to get a beer, it's the last one in the fridge in this facility that they've looked everywhere for the weapons that they were hoping to find. And it happens to open up a secret compartment right. instead of being an actual beer. So I guess that was clever to a certain degree. Is it funny that the guns have Siri? Right. They're smart guns that recognize their fingerprints somehow, have agreed to cooperate and let them use them and talk and give sass. Again, it was probably an idea that might have been in more of the script, like, kind of like the ants talking, like maybe everything was talking after a while. But uh, somebody toned it down. You know, I, I said the editor probably should cut some stuff out. Maybe they did. Maybe there was more with the talking gun. I don't know. But it's just kind of strange. And yet I expected it from the early on, ever since they talked about the Eradicator being at the party and we saw this poster of an Eradicator movie in which he is fighting giant ants, apparently, if you look at the artwork. Like, I just knew that they were building up to the idea that this wimpy Brian kid, in order to get the girl and save his friends and be cool and step out of the shadow of Lucas, was going to have to strap on the black leather, get on the cool motorcycle, and actually be the character that he admires, this Eradicator movie star why do that i guess you could make the argument that 80s movies like the eradicator are to today's kids what 50s monster movies would have been to kids watching films in the 80s so 
maybe that's the retro they're going for. They're not going for the retro of them. They're going for the retro of Arnold and Sly and Jean-Claude and all of that. But the only way for that to pay off, Stuart, is if they actually brought back a B-Hero movie from real life. Agreed, yes. Otherwise, it's just a theme. Yeah, they need somebody a little bit better than Mark Arnold, and it needs to be playing that. If you're going to have him quoting Bruce Campbell's lines, Bruce Campbell is available. He does work in shit. Oh, yeah, you're right. Bruce Campbell, it would have been too on the nose because he wouldn't have agreed to recite lines he's made famous for in other movies. But yes, you could have made Bruce Campbell into the kind of camp hero that this Eradicator is supposed to be. But this climax is now that Brian has found the smart gun and all of this cool stuff. He's going to go back get the girl and say all the things we saw the cool guy say in the movie to her as they finish off the ants. And they rescue Lisa. She's the one who's able to get the gun to work. They find the queen ant who has big wings but can't fly. Yeah, all the other ones are walk in front of the sentient guns and just get gunned down very conveniently. But the big one was smart and was waiting above. And so now they have this standoff at this gorge where they make a big deal out of, can he jump the gorge? Is it wise to jump the gorge? I love you because you're not dumb enough to try and jump the gorge. Then she's like, okay, go ahead and jump the gorge. I believe in you. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, it ends up that the damn queen is spat webbing onto their truck and pulling them over the gorge and she just screams at the gun that she's the real queen and uses it to kill the ant queen. I hate Lisa. I hate the way the actress is playing it and I really just think that this is all phony. They shouldn't have even had this character. I feel like it could have been a dude bro movie and you just didn't need the girl dynamic at all. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. She adds nothing to the story. She has no presence on screen Mm -mm. and yeah i mean at that point i was kind of hoping that she got pulled over in the the model truck when it went over the gorge but that's not the movie we're watching she obviously jumps free of the 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 biggest explosion i've ever seen from a a car wreck (laughs) yeah yeah that truck was ready to go wasn't it it was loaded (laughs) with propane tanks and ethanol and yeah, I don't know what Jorge was carting, but it was <laughs> it was something. He was prepping for the 4th of July party. Meanwhile, Lucas is trying to redeem himself. He has stayed behind to free all of the people while the ants are chasing his friend. And then he's going to use the vodka tank to hose down the larva and light it all on fire. And again, I feel like it's a scene that they could have milked for more tension. They could have even killed this guy. I would have been way okay with losing Lucas here. All right, listen, they could kill them all. Really. There's nobody I want to see back in the sequel. I'd be fine with a nihilistic ending of they kill themselves and the ants still live or something. You could do that. There were 50s movies that would end on that kind of ominous note. Yeah, usually they do, actually. But yeah, when he's in there, I don't get the tension that he's sacrificing himself. I don't get it, especially when he's just wasting time. Tim is webbed up in there, and he's saying, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to let you out. You got to tell me I'm the best motocross person. You got to call me the Eradicator. That is... That's not even dude, bro. That's just stupid. Come up with your own version of the Eradicator. Don't go around saying, I want to be the Eradicator. I mean... Yeah, that makes me (laughs) want Lucas to perish even more. And it feels right. You know, even John dies at the end. They tease the fact that that character was going to die. And then they waffle back and forth. Here, it's what I'm secretly hoping for. But they don't milk it. 
he lives. He, he ends up getting out pretty easily. The mine explodes and it's all resolved. Yeah, we, we don't even know that he is considering staying in there to sacrifice himself until, is it Tim or is it Craig? One of the two brothers that he did decide to save runs out and tells him that's what he's doing. And before you can even process that information, the other brother that we thought died from an ant a long time ago shows up on a motorcycle Convenient. to rush into the cave <laughs> and save them all. And these are the two dicks. These are who you want to kill. I mean, when you watch a horror movie, go to any horror movie from the 80s, you have the villains who are antagonistic to our heroes, and you want to see them killed. Freddy always killed the ones who were mean, and Jason always killed the ones who were doing the drugs and being mean and all of that. These two should have been set up for the most violent, yeah, moment deaths, and they both live and they both just show up out of nowhere? But Arnie's like Top Gun. Iceman and Tom Cruise or Maverick are finally friends. Where's Goose? I don't know. But whatever they're going for, I would say that it's not landing. And the idea that the actor playing the Eradicator is going to waltz in here for a final joke, taking Brian's beer, and then proving not to be so heroic when he sees a giant ant. I just don't feel like the movie should have been hung around this Eradicator character no he is completely the worst part of this movie truthfully everything about him is the worst part of this movie it would have been fine if he was shown in the beginning and they were just making fun of that kind of movie and showing we're going to be better and having the two lovers bond over that movie but to have him just keep getting brought up again and again during the movie alongside real movies like the avengers and then to have him show up at the end because he heard there was a party and he wants beer? Is he like the ants? He's just drawn to the ethanol? Yeah, I... No, I mean, there was a drop line early on in the in the movie that the Eradicator was going to show up. So they knew he was going to be there. But why? It just it makes no sense. It does nothing to help us understand these characters. All that was needed, like Arnie said, is they have the posters on the wall. They talk about them all the time. We saw Brian watching a scene from the movie. We get it. This is something that they dig and they talk about all the time. We don't need the actual guy to show up, especially if all he's going to do is throw down a few lines and then run away scared. Yeah, there's no Eradicator in the game. There's no Eradicator in those 50s monster movies. This reference is out of time and out of sync with what they're supposedly trying to lovingly recreate. And then only because I'm taken with this song about River Phoenix do I let the credits play. I would have hit stop immediately after the ant grabbed the beer. Except I'm just wanting to hear the lyrics to the River Phoenix thing and, oh, who knew? mid credit scene. And some 8-bit recreations of what the movie we've watched as well. The mid credit scene, is, as you're calling it, is just a cutaway to that ant mine room that teases something we don't understand. Presumably another ant hiding behind the doorway. But then, yeah, I get to see a little bit more of the original game and it looks so much more fun than this movie. What's funny is I did go to watch an Amigo replay on YouTube. I think that is the exact replay that they did here because every so often the cursor moved in the exact same way I saw in the end credits. I'm like, I think they took this specific YouTube video and edited it. They didn't even play the game themselves. <laughs> Seems about right for, for what we've just watched. Well, speaking of right, is this movie right enough for any green arrows? Will any green arrows come from this desert? Justin Stewart, do you recommend It Came From The Desert? Justin. Uh, this one kind of gave me a little bit of a roller coaster ride because, like I said, 
I had no idea this movie existed going in. And after looking at the poster, the art, reading the synopsis, I was like, yeah, this doesn't sound like it's going to be anything I'm into. And then the movie starts and I'm kind of like, eh. but they're about 15, 20 minutes in. I'm like, okay, this might be a ride I can go on. So I got a little bit optimistic. And it was quickly crashed, and I felt like I was just being drugged behind one of these ants on my way to my ultimate demise, where I just wanted them to bite my head off and let it be over. Because, Stuart, you brought it up earlier. There's movies like this that can be done, they can be fun, and we saw it years ago with Sharknado. That was something in this same genre that they made. They made it fun. They knew that they were being stupid. They knew that they were making a dumb movie. This one felt like this was Sharknado 4. And it didn't earn any of it from the first three movies. You know, it, it was trying to trade on tropes that it didn't set up on its own. It was trying to make in-jokes that they never set up the punchlines for. Everything they did here was half-assed or not at all-assed. So by the end of the movie, I'm just glad it's over. And if it was something that was on late at night, I don't even think I could recommend watching it to fall asleep on the couch to. It's just... I had a little bit of hope that there might have been a brown arrow in here, but it just never turned itself back around. So this is this is a not recommend for me. Stuart. Yeah, I'm going to second that. Solid red arrow. I mean, I've seen it many times. In film school, I think on YouTube, there's a lot of fanboys who just geek out at recreating their favorite movie moments. And that is what this movie is. This isn't a filmmaker that's thinking, oh, how do I make it entertaining for an audience? This is someone that's like, how do I relive aliens in Jurassic Park and arachnophobia and all these things? I bet it was a blast to be on this set. I bet you they had a good old time and everyone was smiling and nobody thought about translating that enthusiasm into something that audiences at home would enjoy. It's just a bunch of cliches of iconic moments with no novel spin to them. I mean, that is how you make something fresh again, is you put a twist. You take something familiar and you do, you go an extra step beyond and you do something that Jurassic Park never would have dared to do. But uh, no, I mean, you'd be better off watching just about any other camp movie, Arachnophobia, Eight-Legged Freaks, held the walkthrough of the game, was more entertaining than this plotting, self-satisfied affair. It does indeed go down like River Phoenix. I'm thinking specifically of Explorers, another (laughs) trashy movie that was an overdose of pop culture references and 80s nostalgia. Not recommend. Before... You told me, Stuart, that this director had actually done a sci-fi film. I felt like this movie was made and taken to a festival and sci-fi came by and went, "Mm, it's not good enough for us. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't have the hokey fun that sci-fi demands. They looked at it at first and were like, oh, that's the cheap visual aesthetic our audience has come to demand. Oh, that's passable acting. That's a cheesy enough concept. Uh, But it's just not fun enough for sci-fi. Ouch. (laughs) You know, I mean, they've come to have a brand with Sharktopus and Sharknado and mega gator i agree they push the envelope further than this movie actually goes yeah i even go back to mansquito with corin nemec <laughs> please don't it can't be good for you <laughs> oh that was terrible but i saw it on sci-fi <laughs> this 
isn't terrible enough to be fun. It isn't good enough to be good. And truthfully, after about 40 minutes in this, I felt like I was trapped in a web, forced to watch this where I couldn't break free because we had to review this. You know, when we started this review, we all talked about how this doesn't have enough in common with the game that it really needed to pay for the license. I really wish that they hadn't paid for the license because then we wouldn't have had to watch and review it. <laughs> Problem solved. And especially that sequel they teased gets off the ground and God help us for helping publicize this damn thing to an entire audience who's like, it came from what? I mean, this thing came with no fanfare. This thing came with no advertising. It came from the desert and died a quick death. And here we are. We're Sending people to seek it out just by touching it. If that sequel happens, it comes to our podcast feed as well. And I'd rather see a sequel to the game. I'd rather go play the game. The game was fun. I'd rather see an adaptation of that game because mm. there were interesting characters in the game and a love triangle. There was a murder mystery. Right. And your character was in love with the radio station DJ, but because of the murder mystery, there's this floozy hanging around and you have to choose whether or not to cheat on your DJ girlfriend with the floozy. Really, I could see all of this going on. And there's, it's based off of Jaws, too. There's a mayor who's just a complete denier. Oh, there's nothing happening. Oh, there's nothing happening. Oh, there was one ant, but we've killed it now. We can have our party again. I mean, it's making fun of Jaws and making fun of them. The game is so much more inspired than this movie. I recommend the game to any retro game player. They poke fun at it in this movie. There's a line. That's one of those old games like you like to play, you know? Yeah, if you like those old games that they're making fun of, head to the Abandonware site, download this, maybe even download the Genesis ROM. It looked fun. And the walkthrough, the Genesis game can be beaten in 13 minutes. Oh. So <laughs> it's not that big of an investment. Okay, well, I can handle that. And I agree, it's my kind of game. I am that player. So if I can just forget this movie, I might have some fun by playing that game. Yeah, the PC and Amiga version of the game take an hour if you do, if you know everything. But the game, so much more fun, just so much more entertaining. It sparked my imagination more than this movie ever did. But, you know, we just came from Alone in the Dark too. So, I mean, this is a godsend compared to that. This deserves an Oscar compared to the movies we did, but it's still a not recommend. Yeah, that's what I'm really struggling with. Now that we're pretty thick into this now playing arcade, I was trying to think about the ones I even liked. And there were only three. <laughs> King of Kong, Ready Player One, neither of which count, by the way. They're not based on games. They're just peripherally about video game culture. And the redo of Tomb Raider. That was it. Those were the hits. And then it only goes down from there. There's like a category of like tolerably bland, which I would call Final Fantasy Rampage and the Jolie Tomb Raiders. And then the solidly bad, which I would put this movie in, Prince of Persia, Doom, and Mortal Kombat. And then the rest are just nightmares. I mean, honestly, they are just run screaming from them. They give me <laughs> scabies. I've given a little bit more recommends than you have, but not a ton. I mean, Mortal Kombat is my current highest rated video game movie we've done. And even that has some serious problems. Serious? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then going down from there, the remake of Tomb Raider was number two. And man, 
that, like so many other movies we've discussed, so forgettable this yeah. summer. If I wasn't looking at my list, I might forget we did a new Tomb Raider this year. Mm-hmm. It's just downhill from there. I won't go through everything we've reviewed, but those are my two favorites. And this is sadly not that far below them, but I put it on par with Prince of Persia and yep. Doom. Yep, absolutely. And Mortal Kombat. Yep. <laughs> nope, Mortal Kombat. Good. I said I put it on with Prince of Persia and Doom. <laughs> You're wrong about that, but I, you know, you'll one day you'll wake up and realize the 80s are over. Well, it was made in the 90s, and a lot of listeners agree with me, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, considering the series that we're knee-deep in, I appreciate a film coming out of nowhere like this and trying to do something different from other video game films i guess but if this is what you're gonna do at least hit the mark of like a piranha 3d movie that was done way more competently than this which had nothing to go on other than the fact that they wanted to make a camp movie if they had done it right we wouldn't even be thinking about video games we would be thinking about yeah monster movies and this can be really fun and this movie wasn't fun enough that's for sure and is it going to get better i'm hopeful because i do see some things on the horizon before we go back to Uva Bowl that could actually be decent. Uh, Need for Speed, it's a major Hollywood production with an uh, actor who has gotten acclaim and awards. I don't know. That movie looks terrible. <laughs> it looks like the Fast and the Furious ripped off Maybe, terribly. but that's actually a win at this point. That's where we're at. <laughs> and hey, Warcraft, I mean, uh, David Bowie's kid, he's got some good movies on his resume. I think that one's going to be one of the better ones, too. I know it tanked in the States, but I've heard good things. I had no desire to see it, even though I liked the games. We'll talk about it when we get there. But you know what? I'm optimistic for Warcraft. It's the one that I'm holding out hope for compared to Tekken, DOA, and House of the Dead, and Postal, and Silent Hill. Warcraft better be an oasis. I'm looking for something to be better than Mortal Kombat at this point. I don't know that we'll find a single video game movie better. Yeah, and I'm going in blind. I haven't seen either of those two that we've just talked about, so I'm following your lead and being hopeful. Okay, well, Need for Speed starts next week, then we got some real movies we got mission impossible and teen titans go to the movies and then yeah it's back to warcraft and a lot more video game movies let's face it august sucks for movies and it sucks for what we're reviewing too (laughs) yeah there'll be a lot of crap either in your movie plex or you could stay home and watch the crap we're watching but we're going to be watching some really good movies this Friday. I couldn't believe it. And it came from the desert when they get the guns out. Ah, oh, yes. Say hello to my little friend. I know. And yeah. this Friday, we're reviewing the movie they stole that line from, Scarface. Yeah. Pacino's second biggest gangster film, I think, is this 1983 Brian De Palma cult classic. You know, it wasn't a big hit when it came out, but it really has since been celebrated and in embraced by the hip-hop culture it really now is considered a classic of its own i think it's possibly his biggest film when you take how many scarface posters are in college dorm rooms these days and not a lot of people seem to want to go back to the godfather when we started looking at these films a lot of people were like oh the godfather i always meant to get that scarface yeah yeah that's yeah godfather is homework scarface is yeah after school extracurricular it's yeah it's it's just a lot more of an exploitation movie and so we are going to be talking about mounts of cocaine and some more bad 
dancing on Pacino's part. It's going to be a lot of fun to hear that conversation. I hope you can join us this Friday. And I hope you can donate to the show for that and be a patron because I'll need that money for the mounds of cocaine I need to edit three shows a week. We've got this one, (laughs) we've got Scarface, and then on Sunday, The Untouchables is coming out for our patrons of $10 or more. That's right. That's our July show. I just, which is a great bit of serendipity. Brian De Palma made a movie, Scarface, that isn't about Al Capone. But then he went around and made a movie a few years later about Al Capone. And it became Kevin Costner's big breakthrough. It got Sean Connery his Oscar finally. And it gave Robert De Niro another gangster role under his belt. We'll be talking about that one. Lot to say there. And then next week on Friday, Platinum Level, Sea of Love, Pacino cop film. And then the week after that, Dick Tracy. its I don't remember it being good, but I think it's better than it came from the desert. I remember it looking good. I don't remember a lot about the story. It really wanted to be Batman. It came out the year after the Tim Burton. And financially, it did not equal that. But who knows? I'm hoping to rediscover, if not a classic, at least a fun one. Pacino tends to do heavy roles. This one looks like it's a little bit lighter and a little bit more, a lot more scenery chewing. So all that is coming up. Thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us for It Came From The Desert. And until next week, game over. That's right, bitch! We beat you! Because you're ugly and stupid, and we're smarter than you! You're ugly, and we are smart! Let's go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Is everyone having a good time? Yeah! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. You can't be late to your own party, brother. Not possible. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, Doom, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, Super Mario Brothers, The King of Kong, Tomb Raider, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Rampage, Wing Commander, Mortal Kombat, Alone in the Dark, and more. Sweet, a first-person shooter. I love these games. Where's the controller? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Imagine if Scarlett Johansson was in there. But she's the black freaking widow, dude. She could take care of herself. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. What other option do we have? We have to go. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Gotta check this out. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Trippy. We just went from Jurassic Park to Aliens, dude. 
find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Say hello to my little friend. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Fortune favors the brave. Nothing Nothing ventured, ventured. nothing Nothing gained. If you enjoy Now Playing, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star listing. It's the best way to help spread the word about the podcast. You're coming back, right? Of course. Okay. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Sounds hot, man. I want one. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Check it out! Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'll never doubt your dominance again. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Steve and Arnie. Don't stop making a mess. It's cool. They clean up afterwards, and it's about to get way messy. Now playing credits read by Brock. You watch your mouth, nerd. No one talks to Gariscos like that. Nobody. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Believe in yourself, or nobody else will. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Boring enough school talk. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Let's get to work. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Play the losers. You walk away from me, Lucas. Excite Bike, the movie. That would actually be better. I would love that. <laughs> but there's actually on YouTube Indiana Jones with Excite Bike sounds from the Last Crusade when he's riding a motorcycle, <laughs> but it's all with Excite Bike sound effects. I would, yeah, much better than the motocross scenes here. <laughs> She's not a female Tarantino. They needed someone that was edgier here. She's too sweet to be pulling this stuff off. And to me, she looks like all the girls that are too young for me at (laughs) Comic-Con. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's success if that's how she came across to you. But uh... there is a president's list. It's for students with a perfect 4.0 GPA, whereas the dean's list is from 3.5 to 3.999. Oh, I was in no danger of getting on the president's list. <laughs> My high school career was, no, yeah, it was trying to keep it in the seas. Yeah, I might have been on the secretary's list, but that was about as far as that went. <laughs> yeah, the detention list. <laughs>